Evening and welcome to today's episode and podcast of the FIFA World Cup show. Wherever you are listening to this episode from, whether you are in the USA, on the African continent, Americas, Asia, Europe, and Oceania, welcome to the most exciting, informative, and educative sports show on the calling platform with yours truly, Philip Alimo. I have love for sports. Yesterday, we started our series, the first of our series regarding the 2010 FIFA World Cup, where I shared light on the host city selection, the qualification process, the preparation, the prize money, the venues, the final draw, the opening ceremony. And we also heard from Shabalala on that opening goal and what it meant for him. On today's episode, which is part two of the series, we'll be hearing from Carlos Puyol, the centre-back of that Spanish winning team, We'll also be hearing from some members of the Bafana Bafana team. They are going to tell us how the World Cup affected their lives and how it impacted their careers. We'll also be speaking to the best ever midfielder in the history of the World Cup and who played for Spain in that final of the 2010 World Cup. I will tell you who that person is. We'll also be hearing from that person. So tonight... This morning, this afternoon, wherever you are, wherever you are tuning into this episode from, and whatever it is that it's a time where you are based, welcome to the show. So who were the referees that handled the World Cup? I'm going to give you that detail. FIFA Referees Committee selected 29 referees through its refereeing assistance program to officiate at the World Cup for from the Asian continent, three from CAF, which is Africa, six from Conabel, four from CONCACAF, two from Oceania, and ten from Europe, which is UEFA. English referee 
Howard Webb was chosen to referee the final, making him the first person to ref both the UEFA Champions League final for that year and the World Cup final in the same year. With regards to the squad for the various teams, as with the 2006 tournament, each team's squad for the 2010 World Cup consisted of 23 players. Each participating national association had to confirm their final 23-man squad by the 1st of June 2010. Teams participated. Teams were permitted to make late replacements in the event of a serious injury at any time up to 24 hours before their first game. Of the 736 players participating in the tournament, over half played their club football in five European domestic leagues. Those in England was made up of 117 players. Players that played their trade in Germany was 84. 80 players played in Italy, 59 players played in Spain, and 46 players played in France. The English, German, and Italian squads were made up of entirely home-based players, while only Nigeria had no players from clubs in their own league. In all, players from 52 national leagues entered the tournament. FC Barcelona of Spain was the club contributing the most players to the tournament, with 13 of their traveling of their side playing with the Spanish team, seven with the Spanish team, while another seven clubs contributed 10 players or more. In another first for the South Africa 2010 World Cup, one squad included three siblings, Jerry, Johnny, and Wilson Palacio made history thanks to their inclusion in the Honduras 23-man squad. Unusually, the game between Germany and Ghana had two brothers playing for the opposite nations, with Jerome Boateng playing for Germany and Kevin Prince Boateng playing for Ghana. The match summary. The 32 national teams involved in the tournament together played a total of 64 matches, starting from the group stage matches and progressing to the knockout stages matches, with teams eliminated through the various progressive stages. Rest days were located during the various stages to allow players recovery during the tournament. Initial events were also held in celebration of the World Cup. The group stage. The tournament match schedule was announced in November 2007. In the first round or the group stage, the 32 teams were divided into eight groups of four, with each team playing the other three in their group once. Teams were awarded three points for a win, one point for a draw, and none for a defeat. The two teams in each group advanced to the round 
of 16 of the six African teams. Only Ghana advanced to the round of 16. South Africa became the first host nation in World Cup history to be eliminated in the first round, despite beating France and drawing with Mexico, while Ghana and Ivory Coast were the only other African teams to win a match. The overall performance of the African teams in the first World Cup to be staged on the continent was judged as disappointing by observers such as Cameroon legend Roger Miller. The South American teams performed strongly, with all five advancing to the round of 16, four as group winners, and four further advancing to the quarterfinals. However, only Uruguay advanced to the semifinals. Only six out of the 13 UEFA teams advanced to the round of 16, a record low since the introduction of this stage in 1986. Nonetheless, the final was contested by two European teams. In another World Cup first, the two finalists from the preceding tournament, Italy and France, were eliminated at the group stage, with Italy becoming the third defending champions to be eliminated in the first round after Brazil in 1966 and France in Japan, Korea, 2002. New Zealand, one of the lowest-ranked teams, surprised many by drawing all three of their group matches, ending the tournament as the only undefeated team. How did the knockout stages look like? The knockout stage comprised the 16 teams that advanced from the group stage of the tournament. There were four rounds of matches, with each round eliminating half of the teams entering that round. The successive rounds were the round of 16, quarterfinals, semifinals, and final. There was also a playoff to decide the third and fourth place. For each game in the knockout stage, any draw at 90 minutes was followed by 30 minutes of extra time. If scores were still level, there was a penalty shootout to determine who progresses to the next round. In the round of 16, each group winner from group A to H was paired against the runner-up from another group. South American teams again performed strongly in the round of 16, with four teams advancing to the quarterfinals, including Brazil, who defeated fellow South Americans, Chile. European teams performed even more strongly in the sense that all matches between a European and a non-European team were won by the European team. In the previous edition of the World Cup held in 2006 in Germany, they also had this similar achievement. England's 4-1 loss to Germany was their biggest ever margin of defeat at the World Cup finals. It was also the first time that a World Cup finals match between two traditional rivals had a decisive result in regulation time. There are three previous meetings, all tied at 90 minutes, with two settled in extra time and one in a penalty shootout. Ghana defeated the USA to become the third African team to reach the last eight 
after Cameroon in, in 1990 and Senegal in 2002. And the only African team to have achieved both a top eight finish and a separate top 16 in 2006. Paraguay and Ghana reached the quarterfinals for the first time. The round was marked by some controversial refereeing decisions, including a disallowed goal by England in their 4-1 loss against Germany, where the shot by Frank Lampard was seen to cross substantially over the goal line when shown on television broadcast replays. An allowed goal by Argentina in their 3-1 win over Mexico, where Argentine striker Carlos Tevez was seen to be offside when shown on television broadcast replays, which were shown inside the stadium shortly after the incident. Then FIFA president, Seb Blatter, took the unusual step of apologizing to England and Mexico for the decisions that went against them, saying, and I quote, Yesterday, I spoke to the two federations directly, concerned by referee's mistake. I apologize to England and Mexico. The English said thank you and accepted that you can win some and you can lose some. And the Mexicans bowed their head and accepted it. End of quote. Blatter also promised to reopen the discussion regarding devices which monitor possible goals and make that information immediately available to match officials, saying, and I quote once again, we will naturally take on board the discussions on technology and have the first opportunity in July at a business meeting. Blatter's call came less than four months after. Then FIFA General Secretary Jerome Valka said the door was closed on goal line technology. Today, as a result of those incidences, thankfully, we now have the goal line technology. How did the, semif- how did the quarterfinals pan out? The three quarterfinalists between European and South American teams all resulted in wins for the Europeans. Germany had a 4-0 victory over Argentina, and the Netherlands came from behind to beat Brazil 2-1, handing the Brazilians their first loss in the World Cup held outside of Europe, other than a penalty shootout since 1950 when Uruguay won that decisive game 2-1. Spain reached the final four for the first time since 1950 after a 1-0 win over Paraguay. Uruguay, the only South American team to reach the semifinals, overcame Ghana in a penalty shootout after a 1-1 draw in which Ghana missed a penalty at the end of extra time after Luis Suarez controversially handled the ball on the goal line. The semifinals. The Netherlands qualified for the semifinal for the third time with a 3-2 win over Uruguay. Spain reached their first ever final with a 1-0 victory over Germany. As a result, it was the first World Cup final not to feature at least one of Brazil, Italy, Germany, or Argentina. The third place playoff. Germany defeated Uruguay 3-2 to secure the third place. Germany holds the record for most third place finish in the World Cup. They've played in the third and fourth 
plays game a record number of times and they've won bronze four times in the history of the World Cup, which is the most for any country. Whilst Uruguay holds the record for most fourth place finish, they, that is, they've, they've been fourth on three different occasions, which is the most in the history of the World Cup. The final, which I would also broadcast to you on this episode, was held on the 11th of July, 2010, at Soccer City, Johannesburg. Spain defeated the Netherlands 1-0 with an extra-time goal from Andres Iniesta. Iniesta scored the latest winning goal in a FIFA World Cup final in the 116 minutes. The win gave Spain their first World Cup title, becoming the eighth team to win it. This made them the first new winner without home advantage since Brazil in 1958 and the first team to win the tournament after having lost their opening game. A large number of fouls were committed in the final match. Referee Howard Webb handed out 14 yellow cards, more than doubling the previous record for this fixture. Set when Argentina and West Germany shared six cards in 1986. John Itenga of Netherlands was sent off for receiving a second yellow card. The Netherlands had chances to score. Most notable was in the 60th minute when Ian Robin was released by Wesley Schneider on a one-on-one and was saved by E.K. Casillas. This result marked the first time that two teams from the same continent had won successive World Cups. Italy won the World Cup in 2006 and saw Europe reaching 10 World Cup titles, surpassing South America's nine titles, of which Brazil have won five. Spain became the first team since West Germany in 1974 to win the World Cup as European champions. The result also marked the first time that the European nation had won a World Cup finals that was not hosted on European soil. A closing ceremony was held before the final featuring singer Shakira. Afterwards, the former South South African president, the late Nelson Mandela, made a brief appearance on the pitch, wheeled by a motor kit. How? First, let me give you Shakira's song, which was the official song for the World Cup. It says, this time for Africa.
Choosing your battles. Pick yourself up and dust yourself off and back in the saddle. You're on the front line. Everyone's watching. You know it's serious. We're getting closer. This isn't over. The pressure's off. We feel it. But you got it all. Believe it. When you pull, get up. Cause this is Africa. It's time for Africa. Yes, so indeed, it was Africa's time to shine on the biggest stage. And that was the official 2010 World Cup song we just heard from singer Shakira. We'll be hearing from the Bafana Bafana team and getting their impressions of how the World Cup impacted their careers. Some of South Africa's stars from the 2010 World Cup remember the tremendous highs and lows of the Bafana Bafana final campaign at the 2010 World Cup. Let's hear from them. South Africa was at the centre of the football world and an estimated global television audience of 300 million tuned in to see the opening of the FIFA World Cup. The next few weeks were quite a ride. 
building into the World Cup, the atmosphere was phenomenal because it's not something that we were expecting, but everyone was so excited that we are the first ever African country to host the, the prestigious tournament. It was amazing I mean, to see to see people coming together, you know. The streets were always full and, uh, you know, we, I couldn't believe myself that uh, this, was, this was what was happening in South Africa, but uh, it was... The hosts had qualified for two previous World Cups, but were considered to have gone backwards since their last appearance in 2002. A series of coaching changes in the run-up to the tournament led many fans to question the team's competitiveness. But an enthralling opening match against Mexico proved all their doubters wrong, especially when midfielder Sapiwe Shamalana scored a spectacular first goal. Yeah, when I saw the ball, you know, going in. It was so unbelievable. You no, know, it was like I was in my own world. And when I had, you know, 80,000 people cheering in the stadium, you know, it was it was so emotional for me because I knew that, you know, somehow I made millions of South Africans happy. And, um, you know, I united the nation with that goal. To be quite honest, I felt, I mean, I was so emotional. I even had uh, tears running down, you know, but I remember running to the captain and we were both celebrating while the team was running to the corner flag to celebrate with Sipiwe. And it was such a great goal from him. The match ended one all, but the team's confidence was high heading into the second game. Uruguay had started with a lackluster nil-nil draw against France and a win for the hosts would put them within sight of the knockout stages. But things didn't go according to plan. We have ourselves to blame for losing that game. Because to be quite honest, when we saw Uruguay playing against France, we thought it's just going to be a walk in the park. Three points in the back. And we'll go into the France game knowing that we are through to, to, to the last eight. We thought the uh, Uruguay... It was, was going to be easier than Mexico. That's what we thought. And when they scored those three goals and the type of football they played, we didn't expect that. An early Diego forehand goal gave Uruguay the lead. And then came the game's major talking point. Luis Suarez, best striker in the world at the moment. He's the one that thought I fouled him. I didn't even touch him. I remember it was a one-two. And as he turned, I was in his face. As I was about to stop the ball, he played the ball away from me. And at that time, he realized that the ball was too far. But he was so clever that, oh, the keeper committed himself, so I'm just going to dive. And the referee bought into that, and he gave me the marching order. Today's red card and the subsequent penalty ended any hopes of a Bafana Bafana revival. The eventual 3-0 defeat was a real blow to the South Africans, but they still had a chance of qualifying. Their final opponents were France, who they previously met in the 98 tournament. That time, the French went on to lift the trophy on home soil, but this squad was a shadow of their illustrious forebears. Public squabbles and poor performances meant a nightmare campaign for Les Bleus, and the South Africans took full advantage. We thought it was going to be a difficult game, but when we went in, we were all motivated and, uh, you know, we thought we can get goals and that's what happened. Yeah, there was belief that 
we can beat France, you know, playing on home soil. And um, what we told ourselves is that uh, we need to play this game for ourselves, you know, for our families and for the entire nation. South Africa had to win by a decent margin with other results also going their way. They dominated the French and Bongani Kamalo gave them a deserved lead. Katlega and Paler doubled their advantage, but ultimately South Africa ran out of steam. Though they became the first host to fail to progress to the knockout stages, they were also one of only three African sides to win a match at the final. It was amazing for me, part of this work. I mean, it will always be in the history books. I, mean, I scored in the World Cup, I scored against France, and uh, I was voted man of the match during that game, so it was just a chilling talk for me. <laughs> History shows that South Africa has yet to capitalize on the tournament's success on the field. The national team failed to qualify for Brazil, but at least the players' disappointment is tempered by the memories of four years ago. It's great that the World Cup came to our country and it's gone to, to, to Brazil now, but I think for the rest of our lives, it's something that we will talk about. I mean, it was such a great experience for each and every individual in this country. And I think, I mean, we will forever cherish the moments. So, that is members of the South African team, Bafana Bafana, speaking to us a while ago on the highs and lows of playing at the 2010 World Cup. We'll be hearing from former Barcelona and Spanish legend Xavi Hernandez, who is now coach of FC Barcelona, explaining to us what was special about his FIFA World Cup and European World Championship titles. Xavi Hernandez, the half-meet in midfield from one of the greatest football sides that have graced the game. Spain? Spain's reign of supremacy may have come to an end, but what Xavi achieved during his time with the national team will live long in the memory of the talented playmaker. I feel privileged to have played in the final of the European Championship I really enjoyed it. I will also remember those games as they make me feel very proud. Success came at an early age for Xavi. He was a key part of the Spanish side that won the 1999 FIFA World Youth Championship and a month later the 19-year-old won his first Spanish title with Barcelona. My goal was to succeed at Barca and with the national team, and I wanted to win titles with them. But success would soon be replaced by frustration. Xavi converted his penalty in the 2002 FIFA World Cup quarter-final against South Korea, but it wasn't enough to prevent elimination. We suffered during that period of three, four or five years when we didn't win anything. It was a rough time, but luckily we were able to turn things around and achieve extraordinary success. Historic wins for Barca and for the Spanish national team. Barcelona's 2006 Champions League triumph heralded a golden era for both club and country. 
two years later, Xavi was named player of the tournament as a free-flowing Spain won Euro 2008. More than the success and the victory, what really captured the world of football was the way we managed to succeed. As a result, Spain headed to the 2010 FIFA World Cup as favourites, but a short defeat in their opening game against Switzerland threatened to derail their challenge for the title. Del Bosque, Fernando Hierro, como Del Bosque, Fernando Hierro and the captain to the meeting, where we said, look, we played that game a hundred times, we'd only lose once. I watched the game and said to Vicente, look, we should have won that game, so we shouldn't change anything. I remember the group stages, the game against Honduras, and especially the match against Chile. It took a lot out of us. It was like being in the knockout stages, any mistake and you'd be out of the World Cup. So it was more stressful than usual. But we also really enjoyed it. After the quarterfinals, I think you could see how great our team was. Xavi would play an influential role in Spain's semi-final victory over Germany. And against the Netherlands in the final, it was his Barcelona teammate, Andres Iniesta, that provided the killer blow as Spain won their first World Cup. A just reward for their Spanish brand of football. It's something appreciated not only by those of us playing, but also by those watching football, by those really appreciating the game and enjoying our philosophy. That philosophy continued to reap rewards as Javi and his teammates retained the European Championship in 2012. By then our rivals knew us well. They began playing differently. They sat back and defended. And we didn't have as much room as we had in 2008. But Spain played good football. Perhaps we didn't play as well as in 2008, but we did play very good football. I particularly remember games like that final, where Spain had total control and were totally superior to Italy. I think we played an exhibition of football, but you also need luck in each tournament in order to overcome the odds. I think Spain has made history. Para superar esas barreras, creo que España ha hecho historia, es historia. But that luck would desert them in the opening game of the 2014 FIFA World Cup. Sometimes you're lucky, sometimes you're not. And in that sense, Van Persie's goal changed the dynamics of the game. We started the second half in a state of shock. And to me, the result was totally illogical. A 5-1 defeat that would weigh us down for the rest of the tournament. And we were knocked out in the group stages. The midfielder announced his retirement from international football following Spain's premature exit. But after accomplishing so much with his country, Xavi has plenty to be proud of. I've always been very determined. I believe strongly in our philosophy, our game plan. And this has served me well. And not just me, but a whole generation of footballers that have worked very hard alongside coaches and have believed in that game plan. Our national team has played beautiful, attractive football. And everyone appreciates what you've done, both at Barcelona and for the national team. And I think we've made history. Yes, that is Spain's best ever midfielder, former FC Barcelona, and Spanish legend Xavi Hernandez telling us that special moment when Spain won the World Cup and the European Championship subsequently. On this note, 
would wrap up with today's episode of the FIFA World Cup show. This is part two of a three series taking us on the journey around the 2010 World Cup held in South Africa. And tomorrow's episode, we will be wrapping up with the finals and what went into the finals. And I'll be giving you some records that were broken in terms of television broadcasts and all. It is our Christmas Eve edition. So do not miss it for anything. As we wrap up, once again, it's two days to Christmas. And don't forget to share this podcast and to encourage your friends and loved ones to also subscribe to the FIFA World Cup show and to also enjoy all the exciting informations I've been sharing with you over the last few days and weeks. Until same time tomorrow, it's bye for now.